Porter, discretion, piety, prudence, and charity. Now, who remembers what these people represented? Anybody? I know we, we've, we've had seven sleeps since then. Maybe a little bit more if you take afternoon naps like I do get to do sometimes. It rep represents the church. It represents the church. So, the porter would represent an elder or a pastor. The four friends, discretion, which is a wonderful thing, piety, a wonderful thing, charity, prudence, wonderful things, represent the church, who the church should be. So these four friends decide to accompany Christian as they leave palace or house beautiful. So, typically, if we're thinking about geography, whenever you go up a hill or whenever you go up a mountain, you have to go down the hill or go down the mountain. What type of geography would lie at the bottom of a hill or a mountain? A valley. Very good. So, Christian's four friends, the porter remains, but the friends go with him as he goes into the valley for this reason. This is what Prudence says. It is a hard matter for a man to go down into the valley of humiliation without slipping along the way. It is for this reason that we are going with you. So Bunyan tells us that these four friends accompany him, not only that, but they give Christian gifts like bread and raisins, right? That's wine, that's pretty cool. So we know that the valley represents something, and it represents something hard, and if it wasn't something hard, then the friends probably wouldn't have gone with him. But it represents something hard, and they're kind of preparing Christian along the way. And I think right away we are given a beautiful example, an awesome picture of the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, doing life together, sharing burdens with one another. Moments of discipleship as they're walking hand in hand with a brother or sister in Christ because they know what lies ahead, okay? Now, we don't know exactly what lies ahead, do we? We don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, but can we say with a resounding yes that we will experience trials in this life? Amen. So, again, moments of discipleship with the church, walking with Christian, preparing him, sharing burdens, encouraging. Again, this is a beautiful picture of um, just the church doing life together. So, it was an encouragement to Christian, these four friends that walked with him, because this is what he said, or this is what the book says, they offered plenty of amends for all of his grief. So we have Christian's friends caring for his soul, leading to a place that they know will be difficult for him. So would you guys say that soul care, is that for pastors only? Or is it for all of us within the church? Are we to be count accountable to one another? Should we be invested in each other's lives this much to share burdens with one another? What about to confess sin? 
pray for one another? Absolutely, yes. So, there's one quote that I thought was very fitting by Paul Tripp. He says, God uses, and there should be some blanks for you there because I thought it was so good. You should fill in these blanks and maybe help you memorize it. It's a good one. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the lives of others. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the lives of others. God never called us to be only objects of his love, but instruments of his love in the lives of other people or in the lives of others. So that is by Paul Tripp. That's in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. Wonderful book. So Christian's friends leave as he enters the Valley of Humiliation. And right away the text says that he, as he enters the Valley of Humiliation that he's already fearful. Okay? And that he was fearful even before he meets, he meets the antagonist of the book, Apollyon. He was already fearful. In fact, the book, my version at least, keeps using this keeps lowering, or uses the word hard-pressed. This word hard-pressed that Bunyan uses, or according again to the version that I have, is a word that may sound familiar to you. The ASV in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 doesn't use hard-pressed, that's in the NIV, but it uses the word afflicted. So I'm going to read the first part of 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. We're going to read that out loud in just a moment. The other part, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. So the Bible affirms that Paul's audience then, and for us now, we will experience affliction in the Christian journey. So as Christian has, is now in the valley of humiliation, he's already feeling hard-pressed. He's already feeling afflicted. He spots someone else there ahead of him, nearby. This is how he is described. Hideous, scales like fish, which were his pride. He had wings of a dragon, feet like a bear. From his belly spewed fire, and his mouth was like that of a lion. Doesn't sound too appealing, does it, Ronnie? It sounds awfully scary. So, this is Apollyon. This is the antagonist of the story. This is who Christian faces multiple times, as we're going to discover. Uh, Brandon, I believe it was you, sir. Will you read Revelation 9, 11? They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. So Apollyon, thank you, Brandon, according to God's word, is a king, someone over an army of weird-like, if you, if you read ahead for, for a little bit of context, 
these weird locust, scorpion, face of a human type creatures, right? Really weird stuff. So this is who Apollyon, according to the book of Revelation, is leading. Again, these things crawl out of the bottomless pit. Apollyon is over these things. And they, he has been given, or granted rather, permission to inflict judgment on people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, I know it may feel like, because we went to a reference in Scripture for Apollyon from the book of Revelation, you're like, Dennis, you know, is, is Pilgrim's Progress turning into some kind of apocalyptic-type thriller? No, it is not, okay? I am, we'll, we'll save that stuff for another day. Um, but what I think Bunyan is trying to show us here is who Satan is like. Okay? If Apollyon is a king, we would say also that the devil is a king. Okay? Um, just like this king in the book of Revelation is over these locust-type people, these are his minions, we would say that Satan also has his min minions, which inflict judgment. But like the biggest part of who Apollyon is, is he is a destroyer. And this is what Bunyan really wants us to take home here. This, this is who Apollyon is. He is a destroyer. He is not meant for our good. He does not want to do us good. In fact, he is opposed to Christ. He is opposed to the kingdom of God. And this is what he is trying to show us. So, since Apollyon is the first character that Christian meets in the Valley of Humiliation, and Christian is already feeling hard-pressed and afflicted, would you guys think or say that Apollyon is the person who is responsible for Christian to walk through the valley of humiliation? Apollyon is there. He is a king, lowercase k. He's the first one that meets Christian in the valley. Is he the one that's responsible for Christian walking through the valley? Absolutely, that is correct. So, the text never said that Christian made a wrong turn. If you've read it, it didn't. This was a part of the journey. Christian never took a wrong turn. It never said that Christian made a wrong decision coming into the valley of humiliation. But, thinking about what weeks we covered beforehand, did Christian make wrong decisions in the past? Did he take wrong turns? Yes, he did. But in this instance, he did not. No, he hasn't offended the king in any way. No wrong decision, no wrong turn, but he still has to go through the valley of humiliation. So, again, what theme you might be sensing here, it wasn't Apollyon, but the reason why Christian is going through the valley of humil humiliation is because it is due to the one who is responsible for all things, the one who works out everything according to the counsel of his own will, the one who creates and the one who holds all things together. Of course, this is describing God of the Bible, the only God, the one true God. So we're, we're talking about God's sovereignty here. Think about Bunyan. Okay, the author of the Pilgrim's Progress. He was placed in a Bedford jail 
Not because he stole anything, not because he avoided paying his taxes. Is Phil here? I kind of had that jab for him, but he's not even here. Not because he hurt someone physically, right? But because he did not conform to the standards of the Church of England. Because he preached the gospel, which was antithetical, really, to what the Church of England was all about at the time. He was a preacher of the gospel. This is the reason he was thrown into prison for so many years. George MacDonald, an author and minister, he says this about as far as the sovereignty of God and John Bunyan. In bonds, Bunyan lived the allegory that he afterwards wrote. And we may thank the Bedford jail for the pilgrim's progress. Take comfort, afflicted Christian, when God is about to make preeminent use of a person, he puts them in the fire. So we are talking again about God's sovereignty and God's plan for his people. One of the hallmarks of the Reformed faith is God's sovereignty, seen from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. In God's sovereign plan made before the foundation of the world, he had particular people in mind that he would redeem for his own possession with the blood of his only son, Jesus Christ. He ordained that you would be here in Weatherford, Texas on this very day, attending Grace Covenant Church as your church home to experience seasons of highs and seasons of lows, mountaintops, valleys of affliction, because we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, in the life of Christian, this affliction or this hard pressing wasn't by accident. It's meant to be there. It was supposed to be there. It's not an accident for Christian. It's not an accident for us. Lori, if you would, read for us. Psalm 119.71, please. Thank you, Brandon. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. So the psalmist even echoes and affirms God's sovereignty in the sense of affliction that he knows and acknowledges where it comes from. He also says that it was good that he might be pointed back to Christ, pointed back to God's word to learn the word, to know the word. Paul also knew about affliction as far as God's sovereignty goes. Jane, if you would read 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, please. That wasn't you? It's Titus. Yes, sir. Second Corinthians four sixteen through eighteen. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this, for this light, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the th things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are, trans are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Thank you, sir. If we could ask Christian, Christian, does this affliction and hard pressing that you're experiencing, does it feel light to you? He would absolutely say no. It does not feel light. It doesn't even feel um, like it's happening super quick. In fact, could we get through this even faster? Yet, whenever it's compared to eternity with Christ, with a glory beyond all comparison, this affliction that Christian and even us brothers and sisters, it is light and it is momentary. So affliction is not by an accident and there is a purpose. I'll give you guys a couple of quotes there. One by Jerry Bridges from his book, Transforming Grace. This is what he has to say. God never allows pain without a purpose in the lives of his children. He never allows Satan, nor circumstances, nor any ill-tending person to inflict unless he uses that affliction for our good. God never wastes pain. He always causes it to work together for our ultimate good, the good of conforming us to the likeness of his Son. J.C. Ryle, this is what he has to say, that there should be a blank for you there. Affliction is one of God's medicines. By it, he often teaches lessons which would be learned in no other way. By it, he often draws souls away from, the, away from sin, away from the world, which would otherwise have perished everlastingly. Health is a great blessing, but sanctified disease is a greater. Prosperity and worldly comfort are what all naturally we desire, but losses and crowns are far better for if they lead us to Christ. So Christian is going through affliction. He is being hard-pressed. It's not by accident. It is for a purpose. Likewise, brothers and sisters, it is not by accident whenever we experience it and there is a wonderful purpose that God has intended. So Apollyon is the destroyer. Again, Bunyan wants his readers to understand that this is a relationship that Satan has with the people of God. We are his enemy. Whoever is Christ's enemy is our enemy. Luke eleven twenty three. Jesus says this, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. What does Satan want to do? Scatter. What does Christ want to do? He wants to gather his people as the good shepherd would. So Apollyon represents the devil and spiritual forces of evil that oppose God and seeks to destroy and diminish God's work and God's glory. He has come to confront Christian and to turn him away from following Christ. Amen. Jane, would you read for me Ephesians 6, 12, please? I'm sorry. Jane, we're, Jane, we're going to get to you in a second. Richie. Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Thank you. Jane, if you could just read all of them for us, please. (laughs) So, although no one can be snatched from God's hand, none of God's people can be snatched from God's hand, although the salvation that he began, he will bring it to completion Satan still wants to destroy you. This is something that I don't think we take lightly. But again, I think that there's a balance there, right? I think that we can worry too much about Satan, right? And where it just leads us to despair. And then on the other end, we could not care less. We're not watchful. We're not alert, as Jane will read soon, right? There's a balance there. We should be on guard. We should be watchful. We should be alert, but it shouldn't lead us to despair, so Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to ruin you, not in a salvific kind of way. He can't do that, but to tempt you and to lead you away from paths of righteousness. This is what he wants. Satan, I like this, Satan, like a fisher, baits his hook according to the appetite of the fish. So Satan knows what bait to use against you, right? Again, Be on guard, be watchful, be alert. He is wanting to lead you away from paths of righteousness. Don't let that lead you to despair. God is the one who is ultimately in control. No one can snatch you from his hand. So this dialogue that we are about to look at is one of the most insightful passages in the book, in my opinion. This dialogue that Christian has with Apollyon, it offers a lot of lessons on spiritual warfare. It, we're going to highlight some ploys that the devil uses, as well as look at how Christian resists or stands firm against these ploys that Satan wants to use against you and him. So, ploys of Apollyon or the devil and how Christian resists. Okay. The first thing that Satan did or Apollyon did with Christian is this. He tries to make your old life or Christian's old life and sin look promising, prosperous, and alluring. Again, I've said this before. It might have been week one. Andrew might have repeated it along the way as well. Satan can't make hell look attractive, so he makes the road to hell look attractive so the devil would have us believe that our sins are more pleasurable and more desirable than all the joys and riches that we have in christ this is one of his ploys how do we see this in 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 pilgrim's progress well we see this in the story whenever apollyon tells christian that he has done exactly as the old proverb says Yes, you have left my little kingdom, and you're going to the celestial kingdom, but what you've really done is you exchanged a bad for a worse. In other words, following me and being in my kingdom was pretty bad, but Christ's kingdom and following him, it's even worse. Again, he tries to make the old life seem not as bad as the new life, okay? He tries to make sin more alluring and pleasurable. 
where more satisfaction is given than the satisfaction we can only have in Christ because that's how it was designed. The second way, the second ploy that Apollyon uses is that he attacks the character of Christ and he attempts to cause Christian to doubt Christ. So how do we see this? We see this whenever Apollyon says that most of the princes or Christ servants come to a wretched end because they are transgressors. In other words, the atonement on the cross by Christ's blood was not a sufficient covering for sin, despite what we have been hearing in the book of Hebrews by Pastor Joel. If you're a follower of Christ, because of your transgressions, according to Apollyon, this is one of his ploys, you still have to make payment for your sin. The atonement of Christ was not enough for you. Your sin is far too bad to be saved. Again, this is a ploy of Apollyon, a ploy of Satan. Apollyon also mentions that many, many of the king's followers have been shamefully put to death. Think about all the martyrs over Christian history, right? Perhaps even Bunyan was thinking this as he was in the Bedford jail. In other words, if the king's followers have been shamefully put to death, Christ can't protect his own people. Again, this is a ploy. Apollyon also mentions that his service to his followers is better than the king's service and his to his followers. Apollyon's faithfulness is exceedingly far more abundantly than the king's faithfulness. Apollyon has even, even said in the book, according to Bunyan, that he has delivered many people, sometimes according to fraudulent schemes, but he's delivered people safely. So again, it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't seem possible to fathom. And it's kind of hard to understand that Satan would use these ploys and that people would believe them. How his service to his followers is better than Christ's service. That he is more faithful to his followers than what God is faithful. That he can deliver people from their transgressions, but Christ cannot. But again, these are the ploys that Satan uses. Lastly, Apollyon uses, I'm sorry, accuses and points to Christians' own failings and sin. After Christian stood firm against Apollyon, Apollyon doesn't leave the scene. He doesn't say, oh, you bested me. What does he do? Instead of... Um, criticizing the character of the king, the character of Christ, he criticizes the character of Christian. And this is what he says. You have already been, I think the text said he jabbed his finger at him. You have already been unfaithful to the king in your service. Apollyon knew exactly what to say and he knew exactly what to accuse Christian for. 
This is what he said. This Christian goes, how have I been unfaithful in my service to my king? Apollyon goes, you were quickly discouraged pretty early in the journey, and you nearly choked in the slough of despond. You also made several wrong attempts to get rid of your burden. You overslept, and you lost your assurance. You turned your back on Christ whenever you turned your back to those lions. Inwardly, whenever you talk about your journey, you secretly desire for men to praise you. Again, Satan knows exactly what to say. He knew, he knew all of Christian's failings. He knows all of yours as well. So, <clears throat> again, this is the ploy that Apollyon uses against Christian. What example does Christian give us on how to resist? Well, Christian stands his ground. And Christian speaks about the king. This is what he says. I have given my faith to him. I have sworn my allegiance to him. How could I go back? I think we've, I forget which sermon it was. Perhaps it was Andrew uh, whenever he preached out of uh, his last psalm where he mentioned Polycarp. You know, I've, I've followed him for this many years. How could I turn my back on my king now? Right? So Christian does the same. He stands firm, speaking about the king. How could I go back? I stand for Christ. His banner is the one that I stand for. And this is what Christian says. He is able to absolve me of your charges. Again, points back to the character of the king, the character of the prince, Christ and God Jane, she's been ready this whole time. <laughs> this is 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Thank you, thank you. So, according to the Apostle Peter, again, affliction will come, but also we should be watchful because the devil prowls around looking for people to devour what Peter told his people then, or his audience then, and us now, and what Christian also does, resist the devil. Stand firm in your faith. The devil will flee. So like Christian, we must not turn back from following Christ whenever the way is hard, whenever standing for truth is difficult. To go back to the old life is to head for destruction into play into the devil's hand. The second thing that Christian does to stand firm against Apollyon, and I've alluded to this a little bit ago, but he speaks most often about his king. 
He doesn't speak of his own self. He owns his sin. And he rests in the mercy of the king. We see this in Christian's statement. Whenever Apollyon jabs that bony finger at him, he says, all this is true, and much more you have left out. But the prince who I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. Many of these wrongdoings that I committed, I did so while living in your kingdom. But I have groaned, and I have repented of them, and have received full pardon for my crimes. Again, stand firm in your faith. Resist the devil, he will flee. Point back to the character of Christ and who God's word says that he is. He is merciful. He absolves. He has sufficiently paid and covered your sin through his death on the cross. Apollyon doesn't go away. In fact, a battle ensues. So the, the, the altercation has gone from verbal to physical, okay? And this is the climax of the battle scene where Christian gets thrown to the ground. They exchange, anybody here a sword fighter? No? Yeah, me either, right? But I've watched some shows. Yeah, those swords are awfully heavy. Yeah, and a lot of skill, right? A lot of skill. Um, I'd be in trouble. You know, give me, give me, give me an AR. I'll, I'll t- take care of business then. Um, but this is the climax. The sword gets slung from Christian's grip. Apollyon moves in for the death blow. And one may think that the story is over. However, the story says this, but as God would have it. Now, we heard a sermon by Brandon not too long ago where the words that were shared from Ephesians is but God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. So In the book, we have this statement, but as God would have it. Christian is on the ground. He is without his sword. Apollyon moves in for the death blow. Apollyon thinks that he's about to take Christian's life, but as God would have it, this is what happened. Christian reached out nimbly, right, for his sword, it says. He grabbed it, and then he quotes Scripture, Micah 7, 8. Rejoice not over me, my enemy, when I fall, I shall rise. And he gave Apollyon a deadly thrust. And again, quoted scripture. In all these things, we are more than conquerors in Christ through him who loved us. What did Apollyon do after that deadly thrust? He spread his wings, his dragon wings, and he took off. And I want you to think about just for a moment Aren't you thankful? I know that whenever you heard Pastor Brandon's sermon, thinking about the the but God moments in your life, you know, devotionally, I want us to think about those but as God would have it 
How many of those can you think about? Going down a wrong path, doing things that you should not do. Perhaps it wasn't something because of your sin. Perhaps it was the sin of another person. Perhaps sin wasn't even evolved whatsoever. Perhaps it was disease. But as God would have it. Mm, that's good. So Christian does what every Christian should do in this moment. Whenever he is delivered by God, he gives praise and he gives thanks. But just whenever you thought Christian is no longer in a pickle, he goes into another valley. The valley of humiliation to the valley of the shadow of death. Moving very quickly. What's interesting some might be saying, well, he goes to the valley of humiliation. Man, that was a really hard thing for him to go through. Why doesn't he find a detour? Well, we know that Christian tries to do that before and he gets him in trouble. But there is no detour offered here. The book says this. It was the only way. The only way to get to the celestial city was to go through the valley of the shadow of death. There was no detour there was no way to avoid it. This is the way to the celestial kingdom, the valley of humiliation, the valley of the shadow of death. It will certainly happen. Christian finds two men, and they are trying to get the heck out of Dodge. They are running towards him. Christian stops them, have a quick conversation with them. Why are you guys running? What, what, what's back there? And they go, it's the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. It is so dark. We heard all these weird noises. People were crying in misery. There's hobgoblins, satyrs, which is apparently like a half man, half goat type of thing. Kind of weird. And dragons. We, we, we are getting out of here. And Christian's like, well, crud, he's faced with a decision. Should I turn back? like these two men, or should I keep on going? And of course, he keeps on going. And this is what Bunyan notes in his dream to give a better description of the valley of the shadow of death. On the right side of the path was a ditch, not like a bar ditch that we're accustomed to in Parker County, a deep ditch. And this is what he sees there. People who have perished miserably, the blind leading the blind. On the left side was a dangerous quagmire, which is like a boggy quicksand type of thing. There's no sure foundation. There's no sure footing. You step on that, it takes you under. In fact, the text, I believe, says he mentions King David and how King David went off the path of righteousness, stepped onto a quagmire, and if it wasn't for the Lord God pulling him out, David's life surely would have been um, lost. This path that Christian was on was very narrow. Very narrow. And Christian recognized that as he was going through the second valley, he goes, okay, this is a dangerous place but my sword isn't the right weapon. He goes, prayer is. Do y'all see prayer as a weapon? 
not only the word of God, do y'all see prayer as a weapon? You should. This is what Christian shows us. Christian cries out at that moment, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Oh Lord, I beg you to deliver me. Deliver my soul. Christian receives grace. He continues going down this very narrow path. Ditches on both sides. Scared out of his mind. Depressed. The text says, Yet, as he was walking, he hears something. Something that brings him great encouragement. And it's someone, a weary pilgrim, up ahead, who recites from Psalm 23. And this is what the person says that is up ahead. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we know this verse, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. As Christian was walking, Christian heard this gladness fill his heart. Again, he's still in the valley of the shadow of death. He is still depressed. He is still scared out of his mind. He is on this narrow path. If he takes a wrong movement over here, down the ditch he goes. Wrong movement over here, down the ditch he goes. Save for the Lord pulling him back out. But he was comforted for these three reasons. And I'll give you some blanks there, if I'm not mistaken. He was comforted that others who were following the king were on the same path as him. Are you comforted, brothers and sisters, whenever you're going through some trial? In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, it says this, that the God of all comfort will comfort us with the comfort that we've been given, right? I don't think God would have put that in his word if that weren't true. Can y'all relate to that? Knowing that whenever you talk with another brother or sister who has experienced or perhaps walking the same season of life, the same path, how it brings much comfort that you aren't alone. You aren't alone. He was also um, encouraged because he understood that God was with them in such a dark place. If God was with them in such a dark place, surely God would be with me in such a dark place. Thirdly, quickly, he hoped that perhaps he would catch up to this person that's up ahead who was reciting the 23rd Psalm so that they would enjoy much fellowship. And then he sees two giants in a cave, Pope and Pagan. Don't have time to get into that. Let's recap. Here we go. Satan has a lot of ploys, friends. Stand firm. Remember the weapons that we have our, uh, at our disposal. We have God's word. We have prayer. And here's another weapon, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Why is this important? Because one of Satan's greatest ploys is to make you feel unique in your sin and your suffering. In other words, no one can understand what I'm going through. No one can possibly bear the sorrows that I'm carrying. No one can think what I think and be a true follower of Christ. But God's words teaches us otherwise. 
No temptation has overtaken you except such that is common to man. In other words, brothers and sisters in Christ are given to you by God to encourage you on your Christian journey. Don't forget that weapon that you have. Be thankful for those but as God would have at moments in your life. I know that you have many. I have many. Be thankful to God for those. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you for what you have shown us in your word, the importance of your word during trials, the importance of prayer during trials, and the importance of having brother, brothers and sisters in Christ who walk with us, to encourage us, to share burdens with one another, to encourage. Lord, we thank you for these gifts that we have to use against Satan and his many ploys. May we be alert, watchful, but not led to despair. We know you are sovereign over all things. And Lord, our lives are entrusted to you. What you began, you will complete. I thank you so much for Christ. And it's his name that we pray. Amen.